The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
Good morning, church. I wanted to start this morning by, I was going to say, I was just going to tell you a story, and I was going to start that with once upon a time, long, long ago. And then I got to thinking this story is going to make me a lot older than I wanted to be. So I'm not going to say that this morning. Oops, I already did. Anyway, I want to talk to you about, uh, we talk about the Father's love this morning in this song. And sometimes there's things that happen to us when we're little. In this story, I was 10 years old. And there was a popular song in country music radio in 1979 entitled The Devil Went Down to Georgia. I love that song. I'm 10 years old, right? So we're sitting in a pickup. My father and I are sitting in a pickup. And it comes to that part in the song where it says a band of demons joined in, right? And I look, and I'm as as intent as I can be, and I look to my father and I said, I thought this was the devil and Johnny. And he says, the devil never plays fair. That's all he said. And he went on about his business. I'm 10 years old, and I'm sitting there in a pickup dumbfounded. What do you mean he never plays fair? There's got to be more to this story, Dad. But that's all he said. So that was about 10 o'clock in the morning, if I recall. It's been a while. But we always had conversation at dinner. That was where we talked about the day. We sat around the table and we talked about the day. And so we're, we're sitting there and that is still in my head. He mean never plays fair. So I'm eating, and I'm usually the loud mouth at the table because I'm hyperactive, and I can't sit still, and I can't do anything but sit still because that just is resonating in my head at 10 years old. So I asked Dad again. I said, okay, you said he doesn't play fair. And this is just how I started. I'm 10 years old. You said he doesn't play fair. Why not? And I can see the look on my father's face like, what are you talking about? And so I I said, you know, this morning in the pickup, I asked you about why this band of demons is joining in. And and Dad said, well, you you told me that all he does is he doesn't play fair. And that was where you left it. And I said, there's got to be more to this story. So he he continued to tell me more about the story. Well, my question to you is, we talk about the Father's love, and we know that He plays fair, And we, but if we're saved by His grace, we already know the battle's already won, so the devil can cheat all he wants to. He's not going to win. He's just not. He may think he is here and there, and he'll pull off some shenanigans that will allow us to, oh, no, what's he going to do? But the bottom line is our Father in heaven has already won. And I'm thinking to myself at almost 52 years old, that at 10 years old, that's, that resonates in my mind to this day that my father said that to me and got me to thinking. So I wondered to myself, have I said something to my children that resonate in their head 42 years later? Hmm, I hope. And I hope that because Christ hung on a cross and died for my sins and your sins, And the love of the Father that allowed that to happen. If you'll pray with me. 
Our Father God, we thank you and we praise you for the opportunity that we have to come together in fellowship, Father. We thank you for your Son and his death and his resurrection, for that we have ever, everlasting life. Father, we thank you for those lessons that you teach us along the way that even as infant as it may have sounded at 10 years old, it resonates even today. Father, we just praise you and we thank you for what you do. We thank you for all that you're going to do. Father, we just ask now that we take these emblems in remembrance of your sacrifice. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Michael, Amy, Gary, Marie, Damien, Chase, Pat, Jack. Hearing your name is literally causing a chemical reaction inside your brain. Feel-good hormones such as dopamine and serotonin are flooded, are released into your brain when your ears encode that your name is being said aloud. This burst of excitement makes people happy and it sends unconscious signals such as empathy, trust, and compassion to the unconscious brain. Don't believe me? Try this today. Uh, Say somebody's name in conversation as you speak to them and, and watch their body language change. Maybe it's a smile. Maybe it's a subtle shift in posture. Maybe it's a relaxing of the shoulders. They are engaged. They are encouraged. And they are esteemed. He remembered my name. He knows my name. There are about 7 billion people in the world today, give or take, and that's a a lot of people, right? Not a big math guy, but that's a ton. You're somewhere right there. I think you're like that little dot. Does everybody see where you're at right there? 7 billion people. And, And God's a pretty busy guy. I mean, he's running everything. So, I mean, does he really see me? Does he even know who I am? And if I'm getting choked up right now, this is going to be a long sermon. Welcome online on the radio. It is a pleasure to share with you this weekend as we are still in our Streams in the Desert Summer Sermon Series. I said it right. I'm so excited. And you're going to be with me for the next two weeks, and we're going to look about a lady in Scripture. And it's just an amazing story of how God speaks and works in our lives, even when we might not know that He is at work. And I love this quote from last week. It says, Lodged in your heart, 
lodged in your heart somewhere is the ability to walk into somebody's life and give them the courage to be, the courage to exist, the courage to take another step, the courage to get out of bed in the morning, the courage to darken the door of a church. Everybody in their heart has the power to give that to somebody else. So today we're going to be in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 16, verses 7 through 16. The song that you heard earlier uh, was a song that I wrote for an Emmaus walk. Uh, Linnell Leatherwood, you don't really say no to that lady if you know her. And so she had a walk coming up. She was lay director on that walk. And so they had a bunch of passages there. And so she said, could you write a song for our walk based on those passages? And so... One of the passages was here in Genesis chapter 16. It's kind of hard to read. I was trying to make a point, but now I realize I need my readers to see that. So 16, 7 through 16 is where we will be today. If you've got your Bibles and would like to turn with me, we will jump into the scripture this morning. It says, The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant And shall bear a son. I love that. You shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand against everyone. And everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael. To Abraham. So let's get some backstory as we get into it. Uh, Genesis 16 uh, finds that Abraham has lived in the promised land about 10 years, give or take. But he is beginning to doubt the promise, right? So God told Abraham, uh, you're going to have offspring as numerous as the stars. That's a really great thing to hear. Only problem, he doesn't have an heir. You need to have an heir in, cor- in order to have the multitudes, right? And so he doesn't have an heir. And so this is what's happening here. Abram is coming to Sarai. Sarai concocts this plan. And so Sarai says, here's what we'll do. You need to continue the line. And I have a maidservant. And so I will give the maidservant to you and we'll be able to continue the line. Brilliant, right? Now, this in today's day and age sounds like it's a reality show, right? It's crazy. But back then, there could be contractual obligations for this thing. 
There really could. I mean, the man needs, wants to continue his line, his lineage. He has to continue his name. And if he can't do it through his wife, then somebody else needs to come and step in. And so this is what we're seeing here in Genesis chapter 16. It's not unusual by the customs of the time. But here's what they're doing. They're taking matters into their own hands. They're not really waiting on the Lord, and there's ramifications for that. And I believe that we've heard that sermon before, and that is not the focus for today. That is simply the foundation, the groundwork that is being laid for us to continue. So this is where we pick up in Genesis 16, because Hagar conceives. And it says in Genesis chapter 16, when she saw that she had conceived, she looked upon Sarai with contempt. Immediately she became arrogant and and prideful because this is what happens. Hagar elevated herself above Sarai. She said, I was able to produce an heir. I was able to produce an offspring and you were not. Immediately, she felt like she was better than Sarai. Here's the thing. This is exactly what Sarai has been doing to her for all of these years. And so Sarai comes to Abram and she says, look, something has to be done about this girl. She's treating me with contempt. She's prideful. She's arrogant. You're going to have to knock her down a couple of notches. You're the man of the house. Take care of it. And just like Every other husband I know, he says this. That's wonderful, honey. You deal with it. That's fine, right? You deal with it however you want to. That's good. I will support you 100% in your decision. So this is what's happening here, right? And so Abram tells Sarah, I do as you please. And she does. And Hagar runs. And this is where we find Hagar. By a well. And the angel of the Lord comes to her and he asks two very important questions for her and two very important questions for each and every one of us here and those listening. It's this, where have you come from and where are you going? Where have you come from and where are you going? And the angel of the Lord found her. She was not looking for him. And for now, he is still unknown to her. He's a stranger. She doesn't know who this voice belongs to. But he said her name. She hasn't heard her name in a very, very long time. And it sets her at ease. So much so that she tells the truth. Where have you come from? I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. That's where I've come from. Where are you going? She probably didn't say because she didn't see much of a future for herself. She knows her past, but she doesn't see anything past that. She may as well die at the well. She's going to run for as long as she can, but after that, there doesn't really seem to be anyone in her corner. The odds are stacked against her. How about you? Have you been through the ringer? Has life dealt you 
a bad hand? Are you hurting and broken? Where have you come from? Maybe you, you've grown up with everything you could have ever wanted, needed. Grew up in a Christian family, a Christian home. People pouring into your life over and over and over again. Maybe you are broken today because of bad decisions. A series of them. And you're pretty sure that, that, that God doesn't really see you or know who you are right now. I mean, why would he? You don't feel like much right now. Where are you going? Maybe you've got big dreams. You're swinging for the fences, right? Maybe you're about to throw in the towel. Maybe you're going nowhere and fast. You know, this past year has taught us that even the best laid plans don't always work out. Here's the thing, though. I I think she knew where she was headed. If you look on a map, there's Egypt on one side, there's the promised land on the other, and there's the wilderness of Shur smack dab in the middle. This is where the angel of the Lord finds her. She's headed back to Egypt. I, I know what Egypt looks like. It's familiar to me. I've been there before. People know me. I, I, don't have to, I don't have to worry about repercussions. I don't have to worry about defending myself. I don't have to worry about any of those things. I just go back to what I know. But here's the thing. God loves us too much to see us return to Egypt. He doesn't want us going back there. He says, I know it's familiar, but you don't belong there anymore. I've delivered you. You've been liberated from your bondage. You are no longer slaves. I don't want you going back to that place. I want you to draw closer to me. This is what he's saying. Where are you going? Don't go that way. And as he speaks, he says something else. He says, return and submit. Now, these are hard words for Hagar to swallow. But I think she knows. I believe that uh, in in this day and age, we live in a blow it all up and start over world, right? I, I feel like that's where we're at now. As a society, as a culture, if, if we see a little bit of friction, we're going to blow the whole thing up and we're just going to start over. We're going to run from something if we're not able to reconcile it. I see this small in, in, in my own day-to-day, right? If I'm on a website and it takes seven clicks, I'm out of that website, Chase. If I got a little bit of friction in my life, I'm going to bail every single time. And God says, why are you running? away. Return and submit. Now, I will never tell you to go back to an abusive relationship. You'll never hear those words come out of my mouth. Don will never tell you to go back to an abusive relationship. Those are words he will never say. You will never hear either one of you, either one of us, counsel you in that way. So this is not what we're talking about here. It takes two to reconcile. But I believe, I believe 
that God is the God of reconciliation and that he wants that in our lives as we move forward in him. But I I still couldn't get past it. Why does he tell her to go back? Why does he tell her to do that? It seems like it's a bad situation. It seems like it's not healthy at all. In fact, one commentary calls it a divine terror, like a command that God gives her, knowing full well that she is going to have a difficult time when she heads back. But if we look through the ancient Near Eastern lens, if we look in that culture, it's not near as um, inflated as that. We have to look through that lens because that's where this is happening. And so I believe that God tells her to return and submit for two reasons. The first one is she was in the wrong. She disrespected her mistress. She disrespected the authority that was placed over her. She was arrogant and prideful. And as I said before, she ended up acting just like her mistress, right? We've seen this happen before in our own lives when we get a little ahead of ourselves. And here's the second reason, and this reason is a lot more practical, actually. She's a slave. She's an Egyptian slave. She can't emancipate herself. She can't sever ties with anybody. She does not have that luxury. She can run all she wants to, but at the end of the day, she still belongs to Sarai. This is, this is the inevitable conclusion for her. So the only way for her to continue in this earthly sense, is to go back to repair and reconcile the relationship. This is her only option. And I believe there's a much deeper insight for all of that. And and I am still continuing to work through this process of forgiveness. It's really hard when somebody does something to you or to a member of your family. And all you want to do is retaliate. You don't want reconciliation. You want them to pay. Now, I'm just being honest. But as I'm studying, God revealed this to me. And it's just a simple truth, but it hit me like a ton of bricks. It's this. I care about you as much as I care about them. I care about you as much as I care about those in a third world country. I care about you as much as I care about those people that anger you. I care about though, about you as much as I care about those that speak ill, speak poorly of you, that have done wrong to you. I care about you in the church as much as I care about those at the lake. These are hard truths, right? I care about you as much as I care about those people that think differently than you. It's all the same. For God so loved the world. So the angel of the Lord said, I care about you, Hagar. But I care about Abram and Sarai as well. Return and submit. But I I love the, the beauty of God's promises because Hagar does not return defenseless, does she? 
Because he doesn't just stop with a, a command, return and submit. No, he gives her kind of a proclamation, a prophecy. Guess what? You're going to have a son. That son is going to produce multitudes. Can you imagine that? And maybe there is a warring inside of her as she even contemplates that thought. Am I going to be prideful again? Am I going to hold that against the people that I come in contact with? But for now, she says something truly profound. And she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, El Roy, the God who sees me. She says, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here, have I seen him who looks after me? Now, there's some speculation on verse 13. There's about a hundred different ways to translate that one verse right there. And you know I love a good rabbit trail, but we simply do not have the time for that trail. Okay? We've got to stay on the path. And I love the way ESV says it. I have truly seen him who looks after me. I have truly seen him that saw me at the well in my shame and defeat. I have truly seen the one that was with me when I was enduring Sarah's yelling and screaming. I, I, I have seen the one who has looked after me when I was torn from Egypt, when I was taken from my home, brought to an unknown land, and, and, and had to stay there with nobody, anybody around. I have seen those who have, him who has looked after me in the deepest, darkest recesses when I thought nobody was watching when I thought I didn't have a single person in my corner I've seen you you're not a stranger to me anymore you're not unknown to me anymore you're Elroy you know many in the Old Testament name the place where they see God we see that over and over again in Scripture. This is the only time when someone dares to name God. Now we see other places where he's called things. El Shaddai, Jehovah Rapha. But I, I believe that this is the only time when someone directly names. Says you're El Roy. That's who you are to me. You saw me when nobody else did. And right now, I'm not worried about social status. I mean, if I was, I, I really wouldn't come before God as an Egyptian slave and a single mother. I, I'm not concerned about what's going to happen to me when I go back. I know that there are ramifications. I know there's consequences. I'm not worried about anything right there. You're Elroy. You've seen me the whole time. You've looked after me the whole time. So what does it matter where I go? You're going to continue to look after me. You're going to continue to be there for me.
And she said the only thing she knew of him in the desert. When we're stuck in the desert, literally, metaphorically, either one, I I believe that all we want is one thing. And and you would think it's sustenance, right? We we need need to be sustained. If we're going to be stuck there, we need to be sustained. So metaphorically, that looks like trying to fill our hearts. Before we know Jesus, we fill our hearts with whatever we can, hoping that it will satisfy, right? Money, drugs, alcohol, work, hobby, people. I mean, whatever it takes, right? We're going to put that in our heart, and we're praying that we're going to be able to make it out alive. We're going to be able to make it through the desert. And if we fill our hearts with with what we think will satisfy, maybe, just maybe, we've got a chance, but that runs out. You know, literally, we've got food and water, right? As long as we have food and water, that's going to be fine. Here's the thing. Eventually, that's going to run out, too. And we're still stuck in the desert. So if we're still stuck in the desert, what do we need? Well, we need rescue. We need somebody to save us. Somebody to come and find us, even though we're not looking for them. And Marie and I were talking this week, and I just love talking to her. She's a student of the Word, and and she's so smart and insightful. And so she had this to say about the desert. And she says, all we want in the desert is to be seen. All we want is the desert is to be noticed. To be seen means to be rescued, right? If somebody sees me, then I've got a shot to get out. All we want in the desert is to be seen, to be noticed, to have somebody speak our names, to have somebody put their hand on our shoulder and say, No, really, how are you doing today? This is what we want. This is all we want. And, and I think I stayed in the desert so long because I wanted to be seen. That was a long time ago. I am old. And so I stayed in the desert for a really long time because I, I wanted to be noticed. I wanted to be seen. I had people around me that would see me for, for who I was at the time, right? And I was a dumpster fire, let me tell you. And, and everybody loved it. I was the life of the party, right? We've got people in this room that can attest to that. But it was empty. It didn't satisfy And I kept on going back to that place because it was familiar and it was what I knew. And I didn't have to worry about the shame associated with my running when I stayed there. And then I came back to Jesus for the second time. I returned. He had brought me up in the Word. My my family poured Scripture into me from day one. And I had ran away anyway. So I come back to God about the time we get married. Quickest way to sanctification, actually, is to get married, if you don't know that. God will grow you up in a hurry. So I came back to God, but I still wanted to return to Egypt. And every time I wanted to return, God would ask me a question. Where are you going? I I, I just got to do a thing. I'll be right back. Again, where are you going? I'll be back at church on Sunday. It's not a big deal, right? I mean, it's just a minute. Over and over again, where are you going? Where are you going? You don't belong there. Where are you going? Don't go that way. Return and submit. Return and give me your life. 
return and give me your heart. Because you know what, frankly, I've got big plans for you. I've got promises for you. You know what, Riley, I've got big plans for you. I've got promises for you. You, you know what, Scott, I've got big plans for you. I've got promises for you. I want you to return to me. I want you to stay with me. I want you to flourish in the promised land. This is what he's saying. But to be in the promised land means you're going to have to go back to community, right? And so one of the hardest things about community is people. I mean, if you're going to be honest. You know, I mean, you know, right? Because people can be angry, right? They can be prideful. They can be arrogant. They can, they can have snap judgments. They can be harsh. And I haven't even started talking about any of you. This is me. The minute I step into community, it is broken and busted up. It's no longer anything perfect, right? And guess what? It's the same for you. The minute you walk into community, we're all a bunch of broken and busted up people trying to find our way. But there is hope in Jesus Christ, in the blood of Jesus Christ, under the banner of Jesus Christ. So the hardest thing about community is people. One of the most beautiful things about community is people. Because all of these people come from all walks of life. I will tell you, some of my best friends come from here, and we could not be more different. And we walk together, and we journey with one another, and we come alongside one another when we're having a bad day, when we're having a rough patch, and we say, you know what, you don't have to go through this alone. You know what? You're better than yesterday. You just keep moving forward. You've got this. And, and they speak life into us. And, and if we disregard that community, I, I feel like Satan's got a really good shot of wrecking everything. Because we find ourselves heading back to Egypt. And Jesus says, I care about you just as much as I care about them. I care about you just as much as I care about those around you, those that hurt you, those that love you. By, by calling God Elroy, Hagar is testifying to her personal experience with him. Many of us have a very personal name for God, how he has revealed himself to us, right? For me, he's peace. But even though our relationship with Jesus may be personal, it is not private. Abraham and Sarai were God's people and they still never bothered to speak the name of Hagar. You won't find it in scripture. They never addressed her by name. God was unknown to her even though she spent time in the promised land with them. People are watching how you respond on social media, how you interact with the community, how you are in church. Are you different during the week as you are in here? Now, that doesn't mean we're going to have bad days or everything's going to be hunky-dory, right? That means that God is at work in our mess on a daily basis, on the regular so how we treat others, as the band comes up, how we treat others is an indication of our understanding of Elroy. Do we see God this way? That he cares about us.
as much as he cares about them. When I said that, I wonder how many of you said, wait, even that person? And immediately somebody came to mind. You're right, even that person. How we see ourselves is an indication of how we see God. I had a conversation with a buddy from, gosh, forever ago. And he's had a rough patch. And he told me, I thought you would be there for me. I had no idea about his life. And then I talked to him about God and he said, hey, preacher, don't preach to me. Talk to me like a friend. And I said, you need Jesus. I'm definitely talking to you as a friend. He, you need something different. What's, what you're doing right now is not working for you. And he said, you know, I'm way too far gone for God to save me. God left me a long time ago and he never came back. And you might not mean to, but when you say something like that, you're putting God in a box. Now you think that you're saying, well, I, I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy. You think what you're doing is you're saying, I'm, I'm, this, I'm this person. But what you're really saying is, God, God can forgive everybody else, but I've done too much so he can't forgive me. And so when you say that, you're saying, if God can't forgive me, then maybe he doesn't have as much power as I think he does. And then when you say, maybe he doesn't have much power, then what kind of a God he is. Do you see what happened? Like that took 30 seconds for me to get there. And it's simply not true. God, my God, your God, the God we serve is all powerful and able to come into any life and completely turn it upside down. You've got to believe that today. So you've got a mission as we get ready to sing. How, how does knowing God sees you change your daily life? How does it do that? If we, if we know this, but we never apply it, then I feel like we're missing out, right? God's got a mission for you. He's saying return and submit because there's somebody in your life that will only listen to you and you need to be reaching out to them. Return and submit because somebody needs to see your example, whether it's on the job site, whether it's in the community. Return and submit because you're not like you used to be. You are different. You're no longer a slave to fear. You're a child of God. My prayer for you is that you walk in that strength, in that peace, in that joy today. He is Elroy. And he absolutely, 100%, sees you. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.